Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We continue our study in this book, Mark chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 32 through 42. Thought about making it a little bit more today, but it just couldn't pull it together. So I think 32 through 42 is where we'll stop. Before we go to the word, let's go again to the Lord and ask for his help as we come to his, to his word. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us, that you would send us your light and send us your truth. As we read from Psalm 43 this morning, that you would show us the light that is your word, the truth that is here, that we can see the wisdom therein. Help us to know what we ought to see and know from you, about you, how we ought to act concerning your word. Help us to cast down our own wisdom, our own truth apart from yours, that we would be convicted of our sin and that you would lead us to your truth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to this passage of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it made me think of a time in my life when I particularly felt really stranded. As Jesus has this feeling of stranded, as you, some of the language would, would dictate here. My first year of youth ministry, I got on a plane for the very first time. I'd never been on a plane, ever. And I was going to this uh, conference, this youth minister's conference um, or, or retreat kind of thing in our conference center in Flat Rock, North Carolina. But to get there, I had to go through Greenville, South Carolina. It was a good treat, but a retreat. But about halfway through, there was snowstorm that was coming, and so they canceled the rest of the retreat and they sent us back home. Except for back home was in Mississippi at the time for me, which is not North Carolina or South Carolina. It's really far away from those places. And so for most of the people there, they just got back in their car and they drove home and everything was fine. But for me, I had to get on a plane. Well, the problem is, is there was ice all over the planes and on the runways. And so I was stranded in Greenville for several days by myself. If 42-year-old Mike had gone through this, I would have seen this as a bit of vacation. <laughs> but 23-year-old Mike, or however I was at the time, I don't remember exactly, I was a newly married kid early 20s, far away from home. The only place beside the hotel that I was staying in that was open was Denny's, right next door. I was absolutely miserable. I wanted nothing more than to get home. This is before we had things like smartphones. I uh, didn't have a laptop. The church didn't think I needed one. Well, that trip proved that I did. Uh, I was there at a hotel, and I owned, there, was, there wasn't even cable on the TV, so it was like five channels, nothing but Denny's to eat three days, three times a day, and a bunch of cancellations. And I was afraid of flying anyway. I didn't really want to get back on the plane anyway. And then the thought of icy planes and runways made me even more afraid. So as I look back at that, you know, I ever look back and I think, you know, that really wasn't that bad, really. But at that point in my life, it was the most stranded and alone I had ever felt. I wanted the whole thing to be over. In our passage today, Jesus has this same feeling of being stranded. But his is, of course, a much more real thing. Mine wasn't actually real. I was in Greenville, trapped by just some worldly things. He was had the entire sin of his people in front of him. 
his own death at the hands of his creation in front of him. So today, as we look at Christ's time in the Garden of Gethsemane, again, which represents the most intense mental and emotional suffering ever experienced by a human, not because of his own personal anguish, but again, being combined with this magnitude that would be laid on him, the sins of his people, and then what would be required of him as a, res- as a result of that separation from the Father. We've talked about nothing can separate us from the Father's love. Jesus was separated from the Father on that day. Our deep, deepest times of anguish can't even come close to this. And so as we look at this, I want us to see what Christ was dealing with first, understand what he was dealing with as much as we can, but particularly in the light of our own suffering and our own anguish and our own feelings of aloneness and strandedness or however that might play out, how his suffering is what brings us blessings to overflowing. And so as we consider this text, I want to look at it in three points. The son stranded, the son submitting, and then the son disappointed. And so with that, let's look together at the text. Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 32. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark 14, 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he, he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just some context to kind of put us where we're at in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, they they were in the upper room together. They had had the Passover together. And there was this tension that had been building and building this whole time about this idea of who was going to betray Jesus. And all of them were they were told they were going to to leave Jesus and Jesus knowing what's being expected of him during this time is a very difficult time. It makes me think, and I know I like to use the Lord of the Rings a lot, but it's just incredible. But there's, you know, in the Lord of the Rings, as Frodo and Sam are approaching Mount Doom, what the ring begins to feel heavier to him, physically heavier. And so you get that as Jesus is nearing this hour of his death, this, the weight of this is starting to physically get him much less emotionally it starts to weigh on him as he as he goes into the garden to pray this garden gethsemane is located 
in the city of Jerusalem. It's basically an olive tree uh, grove that, that was there. It had been a very calm place in the evening, nothing going on away from all the festivities of the city. Jesus went in to pray. And so you have this juxtaposition of these calm surroundings, this olive garden, and, and this stark contrast to the turmoil that is going on within our Lord himself. So one important thing to note about this passage, this passage is found in all the Gospels, and I think more than any shows us his humanity, Jesus's humanity, and helps us to understand our own humanity as well, particularly as we deal with difficult things in our lives. That brings me to this first point, the son stranded. Look with me again at verses 32 through 34. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. A lot of really strong language here in this passage. He takes his disciples with him. They go to this garden, and then he takes three of them with him. For a little further in, at this point, there are only 11 of them with him. Judas has already left to go do the thing that he is going to do. Eight of them stop in one section, and then again, he takes Peter, James, and John just a little bit further. His words to them are, watch, or stay awake, is the, is the literal translation there. To be awake, watch as these events are about to unfold. This is a big thing that's about to happen, right? And it's probably pretty late in the evening. Jesus didn't need a lookout. It's not as if he's saying, y'all watch out for me and be careful. Make sure no one's coming to get me. Obviously, he knew they were coming to get him. But he wanted them to be aware for their own sakes, especially considering what we're going to talk about next week. They're all going to run away from him. Peter's going to deny him. And so they're all getting ready to see this, and they need to be aware. They need to be awake. And notice how Jesus' words, or notice what he's feeling here. The, the text says that he is greatly distressed and trouble sorrowful even unto death the english here is not adequate to to tell us the feelings of these words it's not that this is a bad translation it's a good translation it's just that we don't really have words to talk about what's going on here that makes sense to us and so i'll try to relay a little bit of what's going on the first word here this distressed it's it's not just this bad feeling that something bad is happening, but it's also mixed with this astonishment or amazement. Imagine like it's kind of like mixing being upset with being awestruck by something. You know, so amazed that something's happened or that you see something. We all we all feel that sense of awestruck, but mix it with being really upset as well. I mean. I just experienced something like this this past week because our school was locked down. I had some fear associated with that a little bit, but I was awestruck as I heard things in the back of my classroom. My classroom backs up against another man's classroom, and they went through his classroom and came through the back of mine, and there was this amazement mixed with fear as these heavily armed police officers, some of whom I know personally, came in and told me to put my hands up at gunpoint. That was the only way I could possibly describe what Jesus is going through here. 
I was amazed that this is happening in my classroom at Murray High School, and I was also afraid and upset all at the same time. It's a hard feeling to describe in one word. And then you mix that with the second word here, this weighty kind of distress and being troubled that doesn't go away. It threatens to press us into the ground because it feels so heavy. If you can possibly combine all of these feelings, you get a little bit of a glimpse of what Jesus is going through here. And again, humanly, we can only understand this at certain levels. We can't possibly understand the real depth of what he is going through here. It makes my frequent trips to Denny's that week seem like a day spa compared to what our Lord had to go through here. And so if you look at verse 35 with me, And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. This feeling so overwhelms Jesus that he physically falls to the ground. It's literally overwhelming to him. Sometimes you hear of people, or probably you've even done this yourself, where you have this extreme grief or fear or this sudden onset of this, And it causes you to kind of just pass out. We've all felt that weightiness. Of course, this is different. Because Jesus knows what is actually going to take place. A lot of times when we feel that, it's the anticipation of something we don't know about. It's worry. With him, he knows what's about to take place. He's under no illusion. He knows exactly what this whole thing is going to cost him. This has him feeling the way that he does. The feeling of being stranded by the Father has got him completely overwhelmed. And it's a feeling that you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, will never, ever have to experience. Ever. In fact, we only ever experience the exact opposite of this. He has never been separated from us. In fact, he is always with us I will never leave you or forsake you is what he said to us but on that day he left and forsook his son Jesus was stranded at the cross so that I and you would never be stranded not even once not today or not on the last day when he gathers all of his people to himself every single one that are his The promise of the gospel is that we'll be with him forever. And the promise of the gospel means that we don't have to experience ever once a time when that isn't true. As we've rolled through the myriad emotions of the last several months here on earth, as we've dealt with this pandemic, one thing that should anchor, be an anchor to your soul is the fact that Jesus Christ is with you and he will never leave you. He has never left you. You may go through times of difficulty, extreme difficulty, horrible, horrible things, but it's not because he has left you alone. In fact, during your most difficult times is when he draws near to you. He intercedes for us. He lifts up our head. And if you want a natural segue into a gospel conversation with someone, I think particularly now, when someone is speaking to you about feeling alone and helpless, 
just tell them that it doesn't have to be that way. Just explain to them that you feel that way, but it doesn't mean that it's true because of who you are in Christ. And I think that's a great way to have those conversations with people. As we look at the next point, the son submitting. On two separate occasions, we read, and really three, Jesus prays this, we read that Jesus is feeling and what he is feeling concerning what is getting ready to happen. Look at verse 35. He prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he's in verse 36, Abba Father, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me. What did he want? He wanted this, he wanted the whole thing to go away. He didn't want to have to do this. Yet, not what I will, what you will. A few things here. Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, the very God in the flesh. He is eternal from everlasting to everlasting, second person of the Trinity. When the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit met from the foundations of the world and made a plan of redemption for their people, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, became was to become man and die in the place of his people. That was the plan from the beginning. Jesus, the Son of God, knew that full well. Absolutely. Yet Jesus was also son of Mary, carpenter from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, raised in the region of Galilee, was a friend to many, was a teacher in the synagogue. He was both the eternal son of God and the human son. Two natures in one person. Something that we can't fully understand at all, but it's true. But we totally understand the prayer that he prays here because we too are human and it's a prayer that we all want to pray. In fact, we may have prayed this exact prayer that he knows what's going to happen. It's not that it's, it's not as if he thinks that maybe he can get out of it. He knows exactly what's getting ready to happen to him. But yet, what does he pray? Father, remove this cup from me. One of the things that stuck out to me as I've studied this this time is that for you and me. It's totally fine to pray things even though that we already know what the answer is. Pray that's likely to be answered the opposite way that we're thinking. Because it's okay for us to talk to the Father. It was okay for Jesus to talk to the Father in this case as well. In Jesus' case, for sure, for sure, he knew that the Father was not going to take this cup from him. He knew that there was no other way. He knew he had to die. It was something that he agreed to from the foundations of the earth, yet he didn't want to. He hoped there might be another way. And so think about this for just a minute. This one, Jesus, the Son of God, the one who spoke time, space, matter, all into existence, was willingly submitting himself to the cross, to the will of the Father, to his own creation, subjecting himself for death. And why did he do it? Because you and I, we couldn't even have obeyed if we had wanted to. In fact, we never would have wanted to in the first place. Because of sin, before Christ, what does the scripture say concerning our relationship with him? That we are at enmity 
with God. We worship the creature rather than the creator, exchanging the truth about God for a lie. He knew that about us, but yet he went to the cross willingly nonetheless. Even as he prayed, his friends, who were supposed to be keeping watch for him, demonstrated their frailty, their inability to stay awake. Their friend faced certain death. We are completely inept on our best days. Yet Jesus, who had the very power of heaven at his disposal, gave it all up so that you and I could have it all. A few things here, because when it comes to our own submission, we have to, we have to deal with this. You've probably heard concerning a prayer like this, you know, that, that, uh, if, if it be your will that you would do this, I've heard this before. Don't pray, I've had someone tell this to me, don't pray if it be your will, because that's like doubting God. Pray as if it is the will of God. Pray expecting is kind of the things that you hear said. Pray with faith. Don't pray if your will be done. Pray as if you know the will of God. I had an elder at a church tell me that once, that I shouldn't pray that way, because, you know, it's showing my lack of faith. Well, Jesus prayed that way. And he said, yeah, but Jesus wasn't giving us an example here. And I said, what? What did Jesus tell, say, say to us? Pray like this, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Absolutely, we should pray this way. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when you pray, if it be your will, you are not doubting God. In fact, it's just the opposite. You are submitting to whatever he has for you in your life. So I encourage you to pray that way all the more because our hearts don't do this whole submission thing very well. And it's good for us to remind ourselves that I am indeed submitting to the will of God in my life. Jesus was obedient for us when I couldn't possibly be obedient for myself. And so by praying this, I'm showing that I'm submitting to his will for my life. Even though he didn't want to do it, he went to the cross for you and I so that you and I can have eternal life, so that we can be made new, and so that we can finally follow the will of God. And that brings me to the last point, the son disappointed. So lastly, we've already looked at this a little bit, lastly, not only dealing with being stranded from the father, being separated from the father, being in submission to this very difficult thing in his life, he also has to be disappointed by these people that he calls friends. He took them with him for support. Rather than remain vigilant, they slept. The hour was late. The garden was super peaceful. The only thing stirring, of course, was a plot for his, their best friend's life. So naturally, they pulled up a tree root and they caught themselves some Z's. Notice he even singles out Simon Peter here knowing that Peter's about to deny that he even knows Jesus, knowing that all of them are getting ready to scatter like mice when you turn the light on. And it wasn't that it just happened once for Peter. It happened three times. Jesus was in such distress here that Luke tells us that his sweat was like drops of blood. But yet, the disciples here were going to sleep on him. You think this would have caught the attention of those three guys as he came back to them the first time and says, hey guys, wake up. This is really tough. I need some help. But no, they didn't. They just went right back to sleep. 
So can you imagine the disappointment that Jesus felt? We've all felt this kind of disappointment in our life, I think. A friend lies to us, a loved one lets us down in some big way, something else that we expected to happen maybe falls through, whatever it is. We know what disappointment is. We've felt it at varying degrees in our lives. For Jesus, this was the absolute top of disappointment, right? One of his disciples is actually, at the time that he's praying, leading a small army in to have him arrested. And that's what we'll read next week. His other disciples are sleeping on the job while this is all happening. Jesus knows all of this, yet willingly he went to the cross, not just for those few guys who disappointed him right then and there, but for you and I who disappointed him probably already today. And that's the glory of the cross. That's, that's the wonder of the cross, is that though I disappoint him daily, he doesn't hold that against me. Psalm 130, if you, O Lord, were to keep a record of wrongs, who could stand? Who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. So when it comes to him, he never disappoints us. It's not possible. We can never look at the Lord and say, yeah, but that one time you really let me down because he doesn't do that. He can't let us down. We are his. The hope that we have in Christ cannot and does not disappoint. He has even poured out his love for us, what Romans 5, 5 says, in the form of his very spirit that intercedes for us. Even when we don't have our own words, even when we don't even know what to say. We've been going through this in, in Romans 8 together in our Sunday school time. In those times when we feel most stranded, alone, and disappointment, he knows exactly what that feels like. He experienced all of it right here in this very passage. He knows exactly what we're going through. He's been there. He's been there times a thousand. He knows exactly what we need in those times. And what we need is always the exact same answer. We need the thing that he was deprived of. We need the love and the care of a father. The tender mercy of a father for his children. The ones whom he sent his only begotten son to die for. We need that and we have that in spades because of what Jesus did for us. So how are you dealing with those kinds of feelings? This is the question for us today as we close. With doubt, with disappointment. How do we deal with those things? Do we look to the world to somehow bolster us or hold us up? Or do you call out to Jesus? Because he knows exactly how you feel. Call out, find mercy. Call out and find rest. And if you're not his this morning, if you're here and you're an unbeliever, the same is for you. The scriptures are clear. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, you believe that he is Lord, that, he, that God rose him from the dead, you can be saved. Call upon his name today and be saved. For those of us who are in Christ... You are never alone. You are never stranded for any reason. You have no reason to fear. What an amazing thing that we have in Christ that he experienced all of those things so that you and I would not have to. Believe that today. And not only that, as we have this thing, that this hope that we have, what should we do with it? What does the world need now more than anything? Hope. And it can only be found in Christ. People are struggling with doubts and fears, financial worries, spiritual worries, everything under the sun. 
Share Jesus with them. Tell them about the one who will never let them down. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you in prayer, we come to you as ones who oftentimes feel stranded and alone, oftentimes are disappointed and disappoint others. But we are thankful that though we feel these things, they're not true if we're your child. That we have you, that you never leave us or forsake us. So, Lord, we pray that as we are here today, that you would remind us of the things that are true. That you would help us to understand that it is you and you alone. You sustain us. You are always here with us. Even in the deepest and darkest of trials, you have never left us. In fact, you have drawn us even closer. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us through that, your people, but also help us to share this message of hope to a dying world who is searching everywhere else for hope. Help us to share your holy name, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.